Hello and welcome to IMI's Talking Leadership Podcast. I'm joined by Shay Walsh, Managing Director of BT Ireland, and John O'Connor, CEO of Deep Insight and author of Customer at the Heart, How B2B Leaders Build Successful Customer-Centric Organizations. Today, Shay and John told their story about BT's journey from one of the lower rated companies for customer relationship quality to now ranking in the top 10%. Through a concerted effort to focus on the customer, BT has delivered a 40-point NPS net promoter score improvement in just three years, uh, inspired 75% of clients to give feedback, created a radically new customer-centric culture, and built a highly profitable business by taking client feedback seriously. So, Shay, John, welcome here. Thank you. Um, Shay, can you just talk briefly about BT's customer journey? Maybe even just give us the beginning and the end. Yeah. So the beginning was 2008, and we recognized, uh, the CEO at the time was, was a man called Chris Clark, we recognized that we were having you know, pretty considerable customer service issues and, and negative feedback from customers. We were losing clients, we had high churn, and there was a, a general dissatisfaction um, that was coming through in the finances, coming through in feedback to the, to the CEO. So he, he uh, initiated customer service process to to rectify that and started with identifying an organization to do the customer uh, survey for us and and we selected deep insight and john here and that was the that was i suppose the 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 starting point uh recognize you have a problem first then go and uh, identify how bad it is to try and quantify Mm. uh, what you need to fix and rather predictably our first score was atrocious so we were in the bottom 10 percent um and so that would be negative NPS, uh, net promoter score being probably the more the more uh, generically known uh, yeah. customer satisfaction metric was was negative, quite significantly negative. I think in minus thirty, maybe more. Our our CRQ, which is a scale from zero to seven, which is customer relationship quality, was was down at at four point two, four point three, and and that gave us real cause for concern because when we really understood what that meant, it meant that customers were not valuing the service. Um, and they were most of them a uh, majority of them would have been uh, moving from us had they had any alternative mm. in the telecoms uh, IT services sector very often you have customers that are staying with you because moving from you to another provider so getting fiber installed and that painful journey yeah. uh, is so painful no matter how bad the service <laughs> is that you actually stay with it so we had customers saying was under sufferance to be honest mm. Um, and it probably actually was the problem was actually probably worse than we thought it was. So yeah. that's that's where we that's where we started from in in two thousand and eight. And is there a little bit of complacency there as well? If you're so low, people just go, okay, let's just keep ticking along. <laughs> we, we we can keep going. You know, our customers aren't leaving us at too bad a rate. There's a little bit of that, but I, but I think um, and 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 John talks about this in his book as well. But leadership is a key component. So mm. there's, there's once the CEO goes, no, no, there is a real problem here. Um, we have to address it and rallies the senior team around us so the leadership team of, of which I was one um, uh, at that time uh, were, were, were very much their feet were held to the fire by the CEO and said we have to get this sorted to the point where we immediately decided very quickly that we couldn't wait 12 months to see if we were improving we immediately put in a six monthly cycle okay. and I think we um, John might might uh, uh, correct me on this one, but I think we had six monthly surveys for for I think we went through four surveys in yeah. two years, yeah, um, maybe even five in in two and a half years. But we certainly um, 
surveyed them frequently. In fact, um, to the point where one of our, so we were improving at this point, but one of our customers turned around and said, we'll give you a high score if you stop surveying. <laughs> so we kind of got the message that maybe maybe once every six months was yeah. too, because we do we do drive the response rates quite high. Um, and you mentioned 75%, sometimes we're, we're above that. Um, sometimes slightly below it, but we, we probably average around 75%. Customer satisfaction surveys can be as low as 20% mm-hmm. response rates, and some people are quite happy with that because it gives them a, a good sample rate because we're not in the consumer business, and our, so we probably only survey uh, 220 clients. Mm-hmm. We, we can do a lot, a lot more chasing up, but the customer then has to buy into that and see the value uh, of responding to the survey, um, and, and they do, and um, and. and so it's a it's a good key key component to it, and and John, you were sort of there from the beginning as well. Yeah. What was your sort of pitch in the room? Obviously, people's morale could be quite low when they see these scores. What was the vision you were sort of saying? These are going to be the benefits if you take this approach. Well, yeah. We, so um, I guess I one of the things I used to do with uh, Shay and with the management team. I don't know if you remember this, uh, Shay. We used to have a picture of the the London Marathon. Mm. Um, and uh, I was trying to get the message across that this is not you don't fix these problems overnight mm. so we painted out a picture we took the route of the London Marathon and uh, we followed where BT was on the journey kind of at every time we uh, we ran an assessment and um, when you're about halfway through the marathon you basically cross the bridge uh, over the Thames in the in, in London um, and it took three years to kind of get that point where you're just about to kind of cross the, uh, the river. So uh, w- I guess the, the message I was trying to give is that uh, don't, um, don't overestimate um, the difficulty in the short term mm. uh, of actually trying to get one of these programs off the ground. But also don't, uh, don't underestimate what you can achieve if you get kind of all of the right kind of pieces working together. And that's where in the book we kind of talk about you, you have to have kind of four key things mm. working uh, together. And I think in fairness to the guys in BT, I think you've done an amazing job. Um, not quite sure how you've how you kind of figured out how all the bits kind of come together. But I think the key for me was you had a, a series of different leaders in BT, from Chris Clark, who kind of started that off kind of, you know, over 10 years ago, um, handing over to uh, Graham Sutherland, handing over to Colin O'Neill, handing over to, to Shea. Mm. And Shea Walsh has been driving you for the last uh, the last number of years. So leadership is key, um, and it's the, the most important uh, thing to have in place. Uh, second thing you need to have in place is... Um, a pretty clear strategy for linking whatever it is that the customer is saying back into the company strategy. Strategy for the way you do customer segmentation, uh, for the way you uh, build your next set of products and services, even for the way you kind of organize yourself uh, internally. Uh, because a lot of companies are built around kind of silos because you uh, companies are kind of organized to do processes rather and yeah. to build widgets rather than to treat uh, customers and solve customers' problems. So being able to take that um, unvarnished view from the customer and feed it back into the organization uh, is pretty important and, and not a trivial exercise. Uh, third thing you need is execution. So I kind of talked today about uh, the need for an execution machine, somebody who's got the right combination of um, drive and aggressiveness, but also can mix that with a bit of pragmatism about kind of what's achievable in what yeah. time scales in an organization. And then the final piece is uh, is culture, trying to get a customer-centric culture embedded into the organization. And and if leadership is the most important, the culture piece, for me, is probably the most difficult. Because yeah. it means you've got to get everybody inside in that company just pointing in the same direction. And there's a few kind of tricks and techniques that um, 
I think Shay and the guys in BT Ireland have kind of figured out over the years that help you kind of align up all of the people doing the right thing. But but people will only do what they're what they see their leaders um, doing. So you get into this kind of virtual circle of if you've got uh, you've got a good culture in the organisation, if you've got good leadership, driving strategy, supported by an execution machine that that kind of that builds the mechanisms to get the culture right in the organization mm. and and so it goes um so you need those four things if you're missing any one of them it's really difficult to to make any change you did though talk about the sort of leadership gap uh, the, the knowledge between the senior leadership teams and the customer and what the customer yep. wants so how do you bridge that gap because if that gap is there then obviously they can't derive a right strategy and can't execute properly yep. etc etc so the very first thing is to actually find out is there a gap or what is the gap mm. um and so you, the only way to, to do that is you find out from the customer you just ask them some very direct questions about what it is that they're experiencing and the, the sort of questions you need to ask are not um, uh, um, they're around the things that are that are critical to any business relationship so for us a business relationship is built on three main things it's built on do those customers trust you um, and it's do they trust the brand, but it's actually do they trust the individuals that they're working with as well. Mm. Secondly, are they committed to a long-term relationship with you? Um, and they will be if you're solving their, their business problems. And then the third one is, um, um, are they satisfied? Are you meeting their expectations and are they satisfied? Yeah. But the way we describe it is those are the three key things in any relationship, but they're only the outcomes of, of a couple of other things. So they're the outcomes of whether you've got a good solution um, for the customer, Solution to us is not technical. It's around a good value for money. Do you bring innovation to the table? Are you leading edge in the marketplace? Um, it's also the outcome of whether it's a good experience for the customer. So if you remember, I was talking about, are you a siloed organization or do you make it really, really difficult for the customer to uh, to buy from you? Yeah. Um, but the more important part of experience is um, having the customer view you as somebody who can solve their business problems and they're committed to you for the long term. They see this as a valuable partnership that they're prepared to invest time and effort into. So if you've got those two things and if that's underpinned by a really, really good service ethic and service model, then you've got all of the components. Mm. So so the starting point is you ask the customers about those six things, uh, trust, commitment, satisfaction, experience, uh, solution and service bunch of questions around those six you'll find out where your problems are mm. um, and that helps you then kind of hone in on, on where you need to uh, to spend your time and effort and Shay when what would you how would you describe the leadership gap then back in 2008 between uh, the leadership team and the customers and is there any sort of thing that you say nowadays is no there is no gap because I know all my customers names I can pick up the phone to them or is it as simple as that Um. Well, it's 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 a multifaceted gap in in one way, but it, but so the gap was was big. So and the gap was is what 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 the CEO wanted or aspired the cost our customer service quality to be, mm. and where we were at. Uh, as I said, the first step in two thousand eight was where are we at, and it was quite clear we were we were as bad if not worse than we th- where we thought we were. So there was a significant gap then between um the aspiration, and and where we were. And then the CEO said, "We have to, you know, in in uh, to continue the analogy, to close that gap, mm. or basically improve customer service was the was the was the main target." Um. So so without a doubt, the first step along the way of enlightenment is to understand what the problem is, um. And it didn't. It 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 wasn't. Um. I I think there was a 
and, and I'm speaking from a personal perspective, mm. that, I was I was responsible for, for the wholesale uh, division at that point. Um, so I was one of probably three areas uh, where, where the surveys are coming from. Um, and it, and it kind of took a, it did, it was a journey for us as well in, in to recognize that there is an issue because your immediate kind of defense mechanism to say, you know, actually I'm doing an okay job, you know, I'm dealing with customers and it doesn't seem to be that problem, that, yeah. that bad. Um, but it was, and um, that was the first step, which was to really, and, and John helped us with that holding the mirror up uh, to, to us and saying, look, you know, you really are pretty dreadful at, at customer service and you need to improve it. Um, and you're in the bottom 10%. And that really began to strike home. And that, yeah. you know, with, with everything, you, there needs to be a compelling kick in the, in the arse that you need to really get you focused on it. And that was it. And I think you know, the, the next survey wasn't much better. Mm. So um, we expected, having put a fair bit of effort to kind of go, right, okay, we'll take this seriously and, and go at it. Um, we, were, we were, I suppose, chronically naive at that point, thinking that you know, things will turn around in six months. Um, it really took us three years for us to even move out of the, the bottom mm. third which isn't great when you're saying that we've spent three years and we've gone from the bottom 10%. Presumably it's hard to get the ball rolling at the beginning most. It, yes, that's, that's, the, <clears throat> that's the hardest bit, but it's not even, it's not even, it doesn't, it's not even six months, it's, it's nearly three years yeah, to get yeah. this going. Because uh, what, what, what's pretty significant about this, and, and at the end of the day, in the telecommunications IT services area, we're effectively a services company. So we sell services. So like, yes, we have infrastructure and we have hardware and we have lots of things, but effectively we're selling a service that customers use to run their business on. Mm. Um, and it's and it's a very complex piece. And one of the things that was quick, quite quickly apparent was that our scores in terms of actual, um, the service itself weren't too bad, but our trust was low. They felt we were overly bureaucratic and it was very difficult to get commercially, get deals done with us. And then when it was done to get the service in place, when we actually got the service in place, it was quite reliable. So we kind of built on that and we, you know, we didn't completely, <laughs> we didn't completely gut ourselves. Yeah, you know, we're yeah. absolutely crap. You know, we did recognize there was a, there was a solid foundation on which to build a better service. It wasn't yeah. like that everything was smashed you know, and, 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 and unrepairable, that there was actually quite a significant you know, th- you know, aspiration we could build on. We said, look, actually the customers really do, A, they really want us to be better. Mm. And B, when it's actually in place, they actually really think the, the service is reliable. So that meant that we were we had the end product was actually okay, but it could be more innovative, to be fair. But getting getting us getting it in was the problem. Uh, so that was kind of probably the area we focused on first. But that begat a huge amount of processes underneath that that we had to repair. Yeah. And, and they were non-trivial. So as much as the process of the survey itself is, is now like a almost like military fashion and it's one of the key ingredients as to why this the, the success has been so um continuous is because the administration process around this needs to be absolutely rigorous it needs to be non-negotiable and it has to have a, a high level of standard from everybody involved in it but then below that then there's the actual things you need to fix because you can be you can have a great survey that comes out all the time customers respond to and you keep on getting crap results from yeah. it, then you're still not fixing the fundamentals. So we, outside of the actual deep insight survey, there was a plethora of, of activities that went on under, and are still ongoing. 
to actually get us fixing the issues because you know that we have legacy systems that aren't that aren't great we have inventory systems that need constant updating we have a continuous improvement program which is probably one of the key ingredients below the uh, the this customer satisfaction survey process itself that have that have that have continu- literally continually work on issues we find issues we fix go on to the next issue um, and then you, you find something else further up the chain that's still impacting it. And, and I, I use this word as a chain because you are, in, in this process, you're, you're as weak, you're as strong as the weakest link. Mm. And one, one, one issue at the very end of a process can completely undermine all the activity that has come to that point where you're weak, let's say, from delivering the service. And you suddenly realize that the landlord who said he had permission to bring in the last cable from the bottom basement to the customer uh, floor doesn't actually have the permission or doesn't have the cable. Yeah. The cable is, you know, a bespoke cable because that's the only cable that can work there and it's on three-month delivery time. It's funny, though, even as you describing that problem, just the fact that you're a managing director know that problem and can describe that problem shows me that you're very close to what's happening. Yeah. Um, I, before, I want to really move on to the positive, but just before we leave that, that sort of steady state of, of the, the low net promoter score, what's the effect on employees? when the customer satisfaction is so low? Well, there's a huge link between uh, employee satisfaction and customer satisfaction, for starters. Mm. So you tend to find that um, if you get one right, the other kind of feeds off it. Yeah. Um, I think in a lot of companies, the employees know exactly what's going on. Um, sometimes management um, do and sometimes they, they don't. But I think if you give them the, again, the unvarnished truth from what the customer is saying, they actually want to do the right thing. So yeah. um, a bit like senior management or senior leadership teams in organizations, I think if you kind of cr- confront them with what, here's what the customer is really saying, they generally tend to take it on the chin. Employees, I think, are no different. I think they're just waiting for their leaders to say, yeah, um, now that we've got confirmation here, the things that we're going to do, and they will follow. Mm. So um, I, th- I think in most cases, the employees who are working at the coalface who kind of understand that there are these issues kind of going on and they some of them would probably be saying to themselves but i've been saying that for years yeah um you know, why does it take kind of an, an external third party uh, assessment to, to tell us what what but then they will actually follow so you'll generally find there's a great enthusiasm and a pent-up demand to go and do the right thing uh, employees want to do the right thing mm. and they will so will you see retention rates get better once those customer satisfaction rates get better for example? Uh, employee or customer uh, both actually well cu- will customer retention rates be reflected in your employee retention rates uh, i suppose is the question uh, sometimes they will um i i probably wouldn't make the the explicit the link between between um employee retention and customer retention definitely if you improve your net promoter scores or your customer relationship quality scores, your customer retention levels do go up. You get a lot more um, what we call um, ambassadors who are customers that just love you. They think, they think you're unique. They think um, there's nobody, nobody else who can do the same as you can do. So they will not leave you. Um, and you get fewer of the, the poor relationships So we call stalkers and opponents. Mm. So stalkers and opponents tend to be companies that um, they, they have effectively kind of checked out of that relationship they want to leave they've made the mental decision to leave sometimes it's too painful for them to leave so they so they stay with you and and cause even more grief Mm. um but uh those companies are much more likely to leave in the short term or the medium term whereas ambassadors um, and the next level down rationals uh, tend to be quite happy to stay in fact the ambassadors will not leave unless there's something 
major external that, that happens. Mm. Um, and that's, that's the ultimate goal, to try to hang on to your customers and get more out of them over the long term. And one of the final results was, uh, I think, 50% of your customers are now considered ambassadors, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's 50 or 7%, but, but it, it's, it's a high number. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, over, it's over half, so it's, um, that's important. But, but, but back to your, your question in terms of does it... Uh, I would say, uh, just to emphasize John's point, the, usually the people in the organization that feel the heat most are, are the ones that call face, and they mm. generally tend to be the ones... You know the field engineers, the you know um the the the, the person who's who's gets the phone call about about a billing issue, it's you know the service person, it's the person on the on the help desk. They're the ones who get the heat. Um, the project manager is trying to deliver the service, um, they they tend to be. It's not that they're, but in, in seniority, they tend they tend to be at the uh, at the first step in the ladder. Um, and and although we have a fairly flat structure. You know, I'm two or three levels above that. So, what tends to happen is that when people are getting it in the neck from the customers, and they don't think that the senior management are getting as much as they do, it again it causes that gap. It causes a a pain gap, which is that they're the 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 guys in the ivy towers aren't feeling this pain. I am, mm. um, and as as John says, like when you actually begin to say, you know, we're going to do something about this, you need to convince the people that it's actually it's not just a soundbite. You know, because I. And I, I hate the term put the customer at the heart of everything you do because a lot of people trot it out yeah. and very few people actually live it. You have to live it from the top down and you have to you have to understand that the people who are getting it from the neck from the customers are the ones who are facing the customer and they say, we will fix it. And it's and it can be a salesperson or it can be somebody else. Obviously, they can't fix it on their own. Mm-hmm. An individual issue, a field engineer who can actually fix uh, a connection issue or, 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 or replace a card can actually fix an issue there and then. But most cases, people are going back into the organization to fix a much more complex issue. And they're saying, okay, we take your feedback on board and we'll try and do something about it. They're the ones who have to come back in a week's time and be accountable for that. Yeah. There's nothing more stressful than coming back a week later and having nothing to say. Yeah. Um, because the business you've gone into the business and you just can't get people's focus and attention on it. So that's why there is a, there's a definite, so we, if, we were, if we were to map our, 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 our employee satisfaction I'm not saying it's an absolute direct link because there's multiple things that, that impact employee satisfaction, mm. but it's definitely an element to it where, where, where every, everybody knows that it's important to everybody. It's in everybody's scorecard, including the salesperson's sales target. Everybody's on the same page. Uh, everybody knows that getting it fixed is better than ignoring it. Um, it does create a sense of, and it, it embeds that culture. It helps embed the culture. and A, a culture of customer service helps pe- when people come to work they're less stressed uh, and that is a huge issue because it's the most uh, having been there myself in in uh, in in previous years um it is very difficult to face a customer knowing yeah. that the issue hasn't been fixed and you're all you're doing there is taking more heat again uh for for no progress so at that point you had done a couple of surveys you sort of knew where you stood you now knew something had to be done what was what did that look like and um, what was the first process what was the leadership behaviors you decided to take on and then maybe john you come on and say if that's a uh, typical and uh, if that was unique to bt etc um the, the first thing was to um to create the framework the structure of how we were going to go about it so who we put in charge of it so we, we, we put somebody responsible for it or accountable for it and um, we gave them the support 
yeah. uh, and then we began to um, put in the framework the actual administration process of the survey itself and and then began to improve that because as again this wasn't just we did it and, and it all worked this so you a, used the survey as a hook for the process yes yeah uh, um, so the process itself obviously as, as all customer surveys are the customer gets the survey you ask them to fill it in and you get the feedback mm. and you, you get a score the most important thing is you do something with the information so uh, the these the sections that 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 uh, are in it give you a clue so you get a deep dive into trust you get a deep dive into service you get a deep dive into you know general bureaucracy mm. of the organization so you can get you can see where you are against that scale and of course you'll you'll tend to focus on the the, the low hanging fruit the things that are the biggest issue in those areas um, and then but but the important thing is the framework of the administration process so what we didn't do very well in the beginning and we began to improve throughout the years was the follow-up after the survey and then the prequel to the to the next survey so that you're you've got a continuity yeah, of okay. so if there's a particular issue that is raised you're focusing on that issue you're asking the customer has it improved making sure that the right so you could ask somebody and and, and it does this does happen where somebody senior in the organization hears of a complaint nobody tells them that it's fixed in the organization itself because you know look there's no no our customers are as organized and as dysfunctional as we are right mm -hmm. so there's no 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 there's no company in the in the in the world that has a perfect line of communication yeah, of course, all the yeah. so you could have actually fixed the issue but the the person responding to the survey doesn't know that yeah and there's a hangover of, of things and there's also you know dare i say it and you know th there are customers who who can if they're if you're getting the blame for something they can quite happily hide stuff that they're not doing, uh, which, which is part of the service. So a CEO might only see, you know, is this is this application running properly in my in my business? There might be alt other things that aren't anything to do with BT that are causing a problem there. But as long as BT has a bad reputation of yeah. being impacting that application, we can we can get thrown under the bus quite a bit. So, so it's making sure that, from an administration perspective, you have the right people getting surveyed. And bringing up the right issue and continuing to say this is what you this is the issue you've 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 raised to us, this is what we've done to fix it. We believe we've made improvements. Have you seen those improvements happening at your level in your in your role? Communicating the fix is actually quite interesting. I hadn't yeah. I hadn't heard that. So so would that be a typical sort of process? What I'm imagining there, and and correct me if I'm wrong, is a a sort of massive hit list of things we have to do and triaging those into important, very important, etc. Is that something that it looks like? Yeah, I'd say uh, the triaging, I think, that we would probably tend to recommend is uh, not, not a triage, but actually almost into two. Um, so you will have issues that the account manager or the service team could fix on their own. Mm. It's kind of entirely within their gift, within their capability to fix. And and if, if you've got an account manager responsible for either one or 10 or 15 different mm. accounts, there will be things that... Uh, and, and we we've banned the word survey from the deep insight vocabulary, which we, because it's not just about a survey. But when the feedback comes back to that account team, 
they should be able to pick one thing or two things that they can fix inside of that client without recourse to anybody else. Um, so they, they need to have the, the mandate and the authority to go off and, and do yeah. that. Uh, then there's a second bunch of things which is not within the gift of the account manager to do or the service manager because it requires probably investment or changes of processes or implementation of new collaboration or, or collaboration across different parts mm. of the business. And that can only be done by basically by the executive team. So in some ways, rather than triage, we kind of tend to look at it as things that can happen and get fixed at an account level and then things that actually requires the executive team to uh, almost to do that that triaging of the bigger issues um, what tends to happen is you come back with a plethora of, of issues that yeah. have been raised and the challenge for the executive teams often is just to pick the the one major thing that they're going to hang their hat on for 2020 rather than trying to boil the ocean pick the one thing that is going to have the biggest impact the biggest bang for your buck across mm. all of your customers and just make that your relenting um, ambition for the next uh, 12 months and how much should the ceo get into the weeds in in terms of each customer touch point it used to be called the customer journey and customer yeah. touch points it, it's, it's evolved since then but how much should a ceo sort of stand over their employee shoulder and sort of make sure that these things are changing and it has been communicated later. so I, I wouldn't say they stand over the employee's shoulder yeah. um, but i think if you look at what bt does and has done you will actually find that it's Shay, and in, in previous years it would have been Shay's predecessor, would actually be the people who lead some of the calls back out to the customers. You said this, we're committed to fixing that, but we need you to do the following things. Mm. Um, now, in most cases, those should be done by the account teams or by the account manager. If it's a big enough account, the CEO will want to get involved. If the CEO is not interested in getting involved, you've probably got an issue there mm. in, in, in the first place. That that may transcend what we're talking about. And I'm wondering, Shay, was there was there points along the journey that you said, uh, I'm almost going to make a, a symbolic uh, gesture to, to show my employees how important this is to me and my senior leadership team? Um, I, I, probably symbolic isn't, isn't the right word for it. So, so we've, uh, you know, as I said, we make sure that everybody has it in their scorecard hmm. and every salesperson has it in their sales plan so that there's an actual, so we're all on the same page. Um, what, what we have done is that in the survey, if anybody has ever name checked in a survey, so if some, if a, 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 positively obviously, <laughs> uh, in the survey and I said, look, this person really helped me out, um, um, you know, Tim Murphy did a great job for me, he called out and went above and beyond. Uh, we take all those names out and we attribute the positive things. We A, we tell them that they've been name checked and we give them, you know, a, a modest voucher, but a voucher nonetheless, and mm. they get name checked at, at our at our kickoff. It's event. more the thank you. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. For, for, for people, for most people, it's about being thanked and being recognized for something that they've done, where they actually, you know what, they did spend an extra hour, you know, they, they got home an hour too late, yeah. you know, and some of our people wouldn't necessarily be on them. Um, on overtime etc this is actually just generally genuinely and above and beyond the call of duty thing and then we get that called out and and that's great to see and our customers love to hear that as well that mm. you know if they call somebody out they're actually it transfers into them actually getting a i found that interesting actually that the the rewards that the employees were getting were then communicated to the customers yeah and it began yeah it's important to co- sorry so it, it's all part about a customer investing because you know what customers get um, lots of requests to fill in questionnaires to fill in uh, feedback to give in surveys yeah. so we're very conscious of that and we do chase them to 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 to, to give us the, the feedback so it's important that if they invest their time that 
they get something back out of it. And what they get back out of it is fundamentally the, the issue fixed. So, you know, at the end of the day, the customers don't want to be giving you negative feedback. Mm. They want to be giving you f- positive feedback. But if they do give you negative feedback and it's fixed, then they go, okay, that was actually worth my while writing that verbatim in. Because as much as the the scores are important, they're good indicators, but the actual verbatims also give you great, rich insight. Mm. And if you don't get the verbatims, enough insight from the verbatims, then it's really important to face time the customer, so be with the customer. And inevitably, being with the customers that are most dissatisfied are the ones you go to first. Now, we do have a balance of that, so I do visit customers regularly. And I do take up deep insight and I say, how's the customer service? Are we doing an okay job for you? Mm. But, you know, I, I have been in probably the most difficult meetings of all post surveys with customers. They've given us a very, very bad score. And it's just, it's, you know, borderline, you know, hostility that you're yeah. getting, which is like, you have no idea how much you're screwing my business up or how much, because most of our customers are actually just internal suppliers in their own business. They're usually in the, the IT network side of the, yeah. of the house. And, you know, a business is, most of our business are, are not focused on their, their, their IT function. It's just, if it works, people don't care. But if it and if it doesn't work, they scream. Yeah. And, and if we're doing, and, and we're, we, they usually get screamed at. And then, of course, they have a promise to their business and their CEOs. And their CEOs have turned around and said, you said, if we went with BT, this would be get fixed. Now it's worse that they've come in, or it's your, and you, it's your judgment. And you. So they actually feel the pain internally, and their careers are at risk. So we are very conscious of that. And you have to empathize with the, the customer isn't giving you a hard time because they just like shouting at people. Yeah. They're, you're actually, in some cases, you're actually messing with their careers in, in a company. And they're actually messing with that company's ability to serve their customers. So again, it's chains within chains within chains. So we, we, we absolutely are conscious that we have to do a good job for our, um, our stakeholders in the business who are our customers. Um, but but getting the getting getting the the immediate customer feedback uh, is important in FaceTiming and then you know even though you don't want to no one get wants to get shouted at you know you do have to take that heat out of the situation mm. take it on board and and bring that back because it you know it, it also means that you're taking the heat away from the team as well so I was about to say I presume that the employees would would appreciate the fact that you're yeah going to the um, some of them probably get a great deal of satisfaction <laughs> 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 uh, me, me me taking it in the in in the in the backside as well so yeah. you know that's fair um and and it's all about is it back to that cultural component is is certainly the second biggest piece the leadership leadership has to define what the culture is and what the standards have to be and you know we have we i do talk about a non-negotiable set of standards you know we we are all for making sure that that we have a, a great place to work and we have flexible working hours and you know we, we create an environment where people feel you know included and, and it's a diverse culture but that doesn't that's not to say that you know it's a laissez-faire do what you like yeah it's absolutely you know as i said gra- you know ground zero here is non-negotiable set of standards rigorous process um and give people a fighting chance to be able to give the customer the best service that we can deliver but it has to go from me all the way down to um the the, the person doing the final connection into the customer site uh, we've talked a lot about communication. Uh, maybe, John, you can talk about a few general principles that uh, a leader should uh, should adhere to while they're leading a change like this. Um, is it regular communication? Is it certain types? Of, should you brand this sort of change within internally? Can you just talk through it a little bit? Sure. So, um, so one of the things we, in the book, we went around interviewing a bunch of CEOs and sales directors to find out 
what they thought about what works, what doesn't work in a, in a customer change program, customer mm. transformation program. And I guess one of the things I took out of it was um, there's a number of traits that we saw across all of the successful CEOs and MDs. I think the first one is <clears throat> an absolute passion for the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't say that lightly because I think if you've got a CEO or, or an MD or an executive team that doesn't really kind of get this, you're, you're not going to make much change inside an organization. So you do need to have somebody at the top or a team at the top that really is passionate about uh, about the customer. Um, I think the, the second thing is that um, really good CEOs will take ownership of that uh, of that customer agenda. They will, uh, a bit like you were talking about, Shay, um, if there's a problem there and it's a big customer, I, as the CEO or the MD, need to get out there and actually have that conversation. Mm. Um, similarly, um, I talk in the, we talk in the book about um, a company called Atos, which is a French, big French IT company, and we were working for their UK division. The, uh, the CEO at the time was a woman called uh, Ursula Morgenstern, and a little bit like BT, first set of results that they got were pretty, pretty poor. And it was Ursula who hadn't been involved in the initial piece of work said, actually, uh, if we're gonna sort this out, I personally have to get involved. And she created an umbrella, an umbrella program that she called Client at the Heart. Mm. So we stole her her, um, <laughs> her project or her program for the, the title of the book. But it was driven personally by uh, the CEO of that organization. Uh, and in terms of, um, uh, in terms of kind of communications, um, every time that Ursula would get onto a, like an old hands call or went to a town hall meeting or had any internal um, conversations with anybody, the very first things that they would actually start talking about or she would start talking about was when I did this customer visit mm. or this customer, here's what we're doing in, in collaboration terms with, with, that, uh, with that client. Um, so I think if you get into the, kind of the into the habit of having those conversations and trying to frame everything kind of from a customer's perspective, that does have a bit of a drip, drip, drip effect mm. over time. So other things that um, that uh, customer leaders tend to have or the traits that they have is um, they intuitively know that doing the right thing for the customer will actually bear fruit from a financial from a financial perspective. Um, and then I think probably the final one we kind of found was that um, really good uh, leaders have a trait of being ruthless about execution. Now, they may not do the execution themselves, but they'll make sure that they've put a team in place mm. that will execute whatever it has whatever has to be done. So um, in a sense, it's not about kind of standing over the shoulder of the employees, but it is actually trying to provide the framework the disciplines, um, the the conversations and mm. the tools and the techniques to, to make things happen. And Jay, what were the sort of elements and touch points and, and processes that you leaned on and maybe the senior leadership in, in general leaned on most heavily to keep the momentum going over you know eleven years? Um, so once we got the process refined and we look, we all were continually looking to refine it even further. But that's the first thing the the getting the the rhythm of the of the of the process almost like it's literally like the seasons of the year so you have to you know do the survey follow up with the feedback you've got put the action plan in place if if required and you know in some cases the feedback is unanimously positive but you still can find something you can improve upon and then in others it's just a really a lot to work on so making sure you have a plan against that knocking off the the most acute problems first and then getting to the chronic issues following that up again um, with progress reports in some cases we have uh, with severe issues we have we have a sip so a service improvement plan and mm-hmm. um, now hopefully that's not just initiated on the back of the of the of the crq score but sometimes inevitably it will be 
following that through to its inevitable conclusion, which is the customer signs off that what was caused the service improvement plan has now been fixed, and and there's a pattern of 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 it's not just fixed once it's there's a there's a couple of months of continuity of the problem have not not existing um and then then you get into kind of halfway through the year then you're beginning to ramp up to the next survey so we're currently in november where our survey comes out in february so we're now in that last quadrant of waiting for for making sure that we we get through the the next three months you know down to closing down those issues so that when we get into the survey some of them may not be closed by the time the survey comes Mm. along but the customer is very aware of where they are in their in their improvement plan or the issues that have been raised and then um the salesperson um or the account director is basically then preempting you know that the deep insight survey is coming up so when we have i i would sit into maybe quarterly reviews with the customer in some customer in some cases or i might just be going on sales calls with our account directors whatever but i always i always mention it um no matter where we are in the cycle we might or might just about to have it or we've just had it or we're we're halfway through the the process you know where 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 how are we doing where do you feel that we're improving where do you feel we're disimproving and and having a part of the customer conversation at all touch points, so never miss an opportunity to talk about the where we are, and then so so the, getting that getting that process has been absolutely key. Um, below that, then we we've we've started uh, uh, um, the customer improvement um, process where we actually have certification for customer improvement. So we have bronze, silver, and gold status. Uh, and a lot of the processes in the service delivery are in our networks department, which is our, probably our biggest people group in, in the organization. And a lot of the engine work is done there, a lot of the service delivery, a lot of the support, et cetera, is done at that point. So we have accreditation now we're up to um, silver in most of the processes and one or two are, are at mm. gold. And what that means is there's an accreditation. It's a, it's a, it's a, an actual, it's a, it's a, it's a proper accreditation. It's not just we self. Yeah. Um, we, we give ourselves a, a bronze medal for trying hard. We, you know, it's, it's that it, there's a standards met and processes improvements and um, identified, documented, and then progression from that. So to ensure that they're done. And again, it leads into multifaceted things. Some of it are, are very simple and we call them JDIs. So just do it, do that thing to yeah. improve the process. And others we call A4, which are basically, if the problem can't be articulated on an A4 page, then you're in trouble. Oh, okay. So so it's an A4, some, some more complex issues though. And then we track those through the process and the speed at which we can get those sorted out. It's really interesting then. You have you have a quite a, I wouldn't call it a rigid process at all, but it has a lot of set touch points, but yeah. then the execution is very agile depending on the feedback. Yeah, essentially. yeah it has to be because yeah. um, some of the problems you manifest themselves in the oddest ways to the customer. Um, but yeah, you, ha- you have to have the, uh, the customer has to, ex- again, back to the point, the customer has to get value out of the, out of the out of fulfill, out of filling out the, because it's a quite, you know, it's a significant um, feedback, you know, mm. especially if you go to verbatim, some customers will write, literally will write three or four paragraphs, some will write one-liners. Yeah. Uh, getting that, uh, when they invest that time is actually doing something about it. Nothing undermines the bond or the promise between you and the customer, then you're doing nothing about something or ignoring it. So you have to get that into the process. Uh, and then there's lots of others. So, so it's nice little touches in terms of calling people out, name checking them. That's all part of the process. It doesn't happen one year and not happen the next. It happens every year. It happens religiously. And if it doesn't happen, there are consequences. Um, so that, 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 that has to get pushed through the system. And um, so 
there are processes within processes that feed into other parts of the chain and then that moves on but it i can't really emphasize enough that that you have to take the process seriously and you yeah. have to do it consistently and predictably and uh, it was you know i hadn't really considered and somebody said it to me this morning is that you know part of the success of the journey here is the continuity of having deep insight with us along that journey mm. for so we're now into our 11th or 12th year now of doing the survey so some of our customers i wouldn't quite say they, they look forward to seeing having <laughs> having to get a as a you know a customer uh request for questionnaires in the survey but they know and they're expecting it and um we had one funny incident where a customer gave us a, a score of just over four and we were absolutely gutted because they were a new customer we and uh, you know i wouldn't say unusually but we had a you know, we, thankfully we had a really smooth implementation mm. process. They were really happy. We were getting great feedback. We got the survey. It was like just always oh, under five. We're kind of going. We're kind of expecting a five and a half, and a, it was, and it was. I think it was a four point six or point seven, and we just went. Wow. We went back to them and they said, uh, "What? What went? What? What was? What? What did we do wrong?" And they went, "We did nothing wrong." And it was because they had a. It was their first time doing it, and they had no really idea of the scale of things. And they were they they usually mark pretty hard on everything, and they have a scale in their business where you don't. I, give I said it's an engineering mindset. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it was like we were. So we kind of said no, no, no. And we when we explained the survey and where the unique zone was and where we felt that that reflected a great service, that's where it was. They kind of got it, and then the next year it flipped over six. And can you talk about that unique zone? Because we we've talked a lot negatively. Yeah. You were in the bottom 10%, now you're in the top 10%, yeah. which is a, a genuine, incredible achievement. And I, I was, before this interview, I was saying it's particularly incredible for a telecoms company, which is generally perceived as one of those non-customer yeah. friendly sure. businesses. Yeah. So yeah. can you just talk about the sort of business nowadays in that top 10%? What are the results? Um, what so the results see? are, um, so our, our for, first thing we is that there's very low churn in our customer base. Um, that there is still some churn, but it tends not to be because of customer issues it tends not to be because they leave us because the customer the service is so bad our churn tends to be a customer decides to either insource something in-house mm. or you know a wholesale customer decides to do that themselves because mm. they're we some of our customers are telecoms companies yeah. as well so that's the kind of churn we get we don't really get or our customer goes and moves back retrenches back to the u.s in which mm. case so any any of the any of the customers we've that are not customer of ours at the moment are because of those reasons as opposed to the service was so bad we had to leave you. Mm. Um, so that's kind of number one. So our, our, if we add up the longevity, if you like the customer um, relationship time that we've had with that customer um, and we divide it by the amount of customers, it's it's nine years. Um, generally speaking, in, in the telecoms industry, your contracts tend to be, some are longer than others. So for example, our our 999 service, our ECAS service, is a is a kind of a seven plus two year, so it's about effectively a nine year contract. Mm. Other contracts we have are two years, and the business uh, a two or three year contract would be far more usual. But if we average up our contracts and divide again by our customers, our average contract length is five years. And to go on that five years, mm. if we average up the remaining time left for those in those contracts before they come to renewal. It's four years. Gives it so a lot of stability and planning. It does. And if we go back then to 2011 and we look at what we... So we, we signed a customer up, say, for example, for, let's say, a million um, for a, a five-year contract, mm. a million pounds. Um, what we're finding in from 2011, if we look at what they've actually spent after that period of time, 
it's 3.7, 3.5 times the amount of what they initially contracted for. So it means that they're staying with us and they're not just buying what they bought, they're what they contracted to, they're buying more and they're renewing. So there's two elements there. They're renewing, number one, and secondly, they're buying more from us. And then we've also begun to track our products. So we have multiple products, about four or five main product lines from voice, from data, security, unified communications, uh, data center services. So broadly five product sets. And what we found is that with, with great customer relationships, you're actually able to sell more into them. So our average product sets have multiplied by 1.7. So we're mm. selling on average 1.7 more products than we were at the start of the relationship. That's a significant. Yeah. So and and, and and as John points out, like generally speaking, when customers are more happy with you, they, there's no reason to go to somebody else yeah. for for a service. Now some customers, for 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 reasons of diversity and uh, uh, and and continuity of service, they want to have two suppliers, and that's fine. And you'll never get the additional wallet share of what they're what they're doing but in most cases you can, can you can sell more services in if you land a service in we we generally tend to expand that by 1.7 on average with our customer base so there's a huge financial imperative here that you know the cost of acquiring customers is huge you know you have to bid you know our, our, our bid success is quite is quite high we have about a 70 percent win rate that's because we we really only go after you know, we only we go out we go into fights. We know we can we have a good chance of winning, um, and we qualify out quite a bit, but but that is still a huge investment, and we and and it's a huge, uh, because because you cost a failure there is you still three out of seven deals you're losing, so you have to be selective about what you go after. But once you once you invest that time and effort, getting them on that journey where they now you know you can actually it's not that, you can be complacent about it but you can actually sit back and go do you know if we do the right things and we follow the same behaviors and we do the right things with this customer we have this customer for nine years yeah and that number continues to grow so we know that if we do the right things they'll continue to renew with us and they'll continue to stay with us then then the trick then is adding more towers to the customers you've got and getting more customers in because once they're in you've locked them in and you continue to deploy them up the version now the other the other the other nate the other kind of natural fact about telecommunications is that every time you go to renew the price goes down mm. so unlike maybe an iphone or whatever <laughs> when you, you know then the next model out is more expensive than the last yeah. uh, we are in a continuous downward trend so we have to for the same service it's usually a 10 15 20 percent discount so even if you hold on to customers if you hold on to the same customers you've got your business is going to shrink by 20 percent over mm. two or three right. years so you have to continue to a that important component sell more products into the customers you have that's cross sell acquire new customers um all the time and deep insight is the underpinning of all of that if we didn't have that the the crq scores we get and we know that customers would churn and um, and you know holding on to a customer at a 20 percent discount is a lot better than losing a customer and losing 100%. We all know the cost of a new sale and, yeah, and yeah, an yeah. sale. So, uh, John, a penultimate question for yourself. If for the CEO listening out there right now, they're saying, oh, my, my, my customer satisfaction is quite high. Um, they may not have surveyed in a while, though, or they may not have asked their customers. What advice would you give to them? Is, there, is it typical that there is actually a gap between what the CEO thinks the customer um, perceives their company as and what they actually do. There's there's always a gap between what a what an executive team in an organisation think they're delivering to the client and what the client actually 
precedes the third yeah. category. So there is always that gap. The question is, is it a small gap or is it pretty large? And the only way you're going to find out is by asking the customer. Um, I think if uh, if the CEOs are feeling a bit complacent and think, yeah, we've got a pretty good set of customer relationships, um, I would say best of luck to you. Um, but if you're not checking that against reality, if you're not actually asking your customers what they what they are receiving, then you're just not going to know. And and that's only the that's really only the starting point because yeah. I think as Shay says, you can you can get the feedback from the customer, but then actually turning that into a set of actions and galvanizing your organization to go and do something about it, that's an entirely different uh, journey. And um, I think from my perspective, you know, I look at BT here in Ireland and I think I've said this before to you, Shay, you don't tell the story often enough <laughs> because you, 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 I think BT in Ireland has forgotten where it was 10 years ago. Now it is in the top 10% of all of our, uh, of our database, of all the companies that we work with. And you know, not that long ago, it was in the bottom 10%, which as he said, uh, he was a, is a phenomenal journey for, for any company to, to undergo. Um, I mean, that journey, it, um, it took three years to go from being in a pretty poor place to being an average company. And it took another three years to get from being average to being excellent, to being unique. Um, so if there are CEOs out there uh, who think they're either at the bottom end of that spectrum or the middle, um, then the only way to find out is ask their customers. And yeah. even if you think you're at the top end, um, don't get complacent. Um, continually che- sense check what you're doing by just asking the customers in a formal, systematic way what how well you're doing against, uh, against their expectations. And that's the only benchmark. And finally then, Shay, for you, uh, you meet a fellow CEO, managing director on, on, on the elevator and they ask you about this. What's the one thing you say, do this today? Um, if they're interested in putting the customer at the heart, um, at genuinely putting it at mm. the heart, because so many people say that and actually don't mean it, well, A, probably have a read of John's book because it actually Good delivers it yeah. delivers on that message of putting at the customer at the heart. But you have to live it. You have to live the values. Customer, so you have to genuinely think and know that customer service is important to you. Um, and if for no other reason, the bottom line, uh, it improves the bottom line, um, they need to take it seriously and they need to put in the measures that, um, and you know, we, uh, as I said, that complacency word is, rings in my ears. I know today I have certainly got customers who are not in that top 10%. Mm. They feel that we're doing a bad job for them and they're they're uh, probably irate with us. So uh, I, I'm very conscious of that we have not got this cracked. And uh, the minute you start thinking you have it cracked is the minute that you'll that you'll fall asunder because um, you have to relentlessly focus on it. So it really has to be something that they need to take seriously, and they need to take it seriously in the long term. They need to continue it and make it part of their culture because so many things happen in businesses where you know suddenly everyone gets the new mouse mats of we mm-hmm. need to do this and this is our new value and then four, four years later people are getting a new set of mouse mats with different sets of values customer at the heart of everything you do is not is not a it's not a, a, a transient value this is something that has to it has to you know uh, transcend every every part of the business and every trend and every logo change and every brand change and every kind of new value that comes in uh, or every change of direction it, if you have customers you absolutely have to they need to know that you care about them deeply um, and I don't think you're doing a job as a CEO if you don't take this stuff seriously to be honest I think it's one of the most important parts of the job because we I always tell our customer, our, our employees and we're doing anything if we're if we're if we're if we're you know if we're if we're going out for a social night if we have a thank you or a kickoff event I keep on reminding them this is our customers money we're spending 
and and most of our customers are delighted to hear that we celebrate success because it yeah. means that our employees are get rewarded and get a pat on the back they're quite happy to to see our money going in that direction but nevertheless it's our customers money and a ceo has to take that very seriously brilliant john shay thanks so much for coming in Pleasure. Thank you.